This week, I, Friday, I was walking through the halls and I found James and I said, how are we going to preach about joy Sunday? Because, you know, as I look at it, I realize that many of us feel the pain because our eyes and hearts are focused on those that are grieving today. As we look at our own schools and our own children, it sort of fills us with that feeling of terror. We think about what it would be like to be a parent running up to the school, not knowing what happened or who to grab a hold of and who to find out where our children are. Because, you see, we realize it could be my Katie, my Ben, Grace, Abby, or Olivia. And for many, Christmas has been filled with that overwhelming stress and family challenges, friends and family members sick, passing away. But in our mind's eyes, we think Christmas ought to be different. The death angel should not visit during this season. No one should ever get a pink slip in December. Divorce should not be mentioned in our home during Advent. Every emergency room should be empty. Christmas should be different. We even read it to our children. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas would soon be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds with visions of sugar plums dancing in their heads. This is our vision of Christmas. How do we move from the realities of this past week in which our hearts are filled with fear to the joy of Christmas? Well, you know, as I open the Word of God and look at Luke, the first chapter and the second chapter, I realize something. I realize that Christmas joy begins with fear. Study with me for a few moments. There in Luke, the first chapter, verse 11 through 18, we see that fear is found in the house of God. Zechariah and Elizabeth, both descendants from priests, both Old in age, advanced, barren without children, never to have their name passed on, never to enjoy all those stages of growth, never to laugh together, never to cry together, never to share in the accomplishments. But Zechariah is given an opportunity as a priest, David in his time, divided the priesthood into 24 units. And they would take an opportunity to share in the duties in the temple. And this would come around about twice a year, and they would spend a whole week performing the duties. But the duty to burn the incense in the holy place, or in the the holy place, would only come for many priests only once in a lifetime. And it happened to fall at this time on Zechariah. And if this was his first time to ever enter the holy place, that place that stands outside the holy of holies, that is separated by the veil that is divided during the death, 
prior to the death of Christ. If he was going to do this, this was going to be an experience that could change his life. And he takes the incense and he goes into the holy place and he stands there before the table and he proceeds to light the incense. And what happens? Behold, an angel appears. Gabriel appears in a place that was totally unexpected. The voice of God and the message of God had not been heard in the nation of Israel for hundreds of years. And here was the angel of God standing in the holy place with Zechariah. Unexpected, a surprise. And notice Luke, the first chapter, verse 11, in which he says, And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Verse 19 says, His name is Gabriel, alone in the house of God, in the place of God, and Gabriel appears unexpectedly and brings about fear. It sort of reminds me of when we hide from our children, our, our children hide from us, and we're walking through the house thinking nobody's there or thinking that nothing would surprise us, and all of a sudden out from a corner jumps one of our children. We like to do it to them, okay? I really don't like it done to me because my heart medicine may not work, and, you know, I really don't like those things. Because we sort of like our fear prescribed, do we not? When we go on a roller coaster, we read the, all the warnings, right? Don't get on this thing if you have heart trouble. Don't get on this thing if you have high blood pressure. Don't get on this thing if it's so high. We sort of know what's going to happen, don't we? We sort of know that thing is going to go way, 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 way in the sky. And all of a sudden it's going to go nosedive. And we're going to feel our whole body move in ways that we couldn't imagine. We sort of like that fear. We'll even pay for that fear. But what Zachariah felt, in no way did he expect Christmas is a time that the fear of the unexpected should be transformed into that Christmas joy. But notice there's a second event in Luke, the first chapter, verse 27. Here we have young Mary, many believed to be a teenager, many to believe to uh, be at that point in her life that she had dreams and visions. She had dreams of what she could do and where she could go and what she could accomplish. We find that she is engaged to Joseph. She is described for us as a virgin. And lo and behold, what happens? The angel Gabriel once again, going from being with Zechariah, now finds his way to Mary. And notice what he says in verse 28 of chapter 1. Greetings. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Blessed are those um, are thou among women. And notice that passage of Scripture says, Mary's not startled. Mary's not shocked. Mary is not, you know, filled with fear because Gabriel appears. But notice that she is frightened. Notice that she is disturbed. Notice she is perplexed and mortified because of the message. And what was the message? A three-part message. It said you are highly favored, made acceptable, and that the Lord is with you, 
and blessed art thou among women. Mary goes, my life I have before me. I want to control it. And now you come to me and tell me that I have been set apart. I have not volunteered for anything. She hadn't done anything to earn this position or this favor. She had no special qualifications. All this was totally out of her control. We like to be in control, don't we? We like to know what's going to happen. Some of us are a little bit detailed, okay? And some of us like to know where we're going tomorrow. I like calendars. I like it written out. I like to know in detail what's going to happen from place to place, time to time, in those situations. And Mary found herself now before the angel Gabriel, and Gabriel was saying some things unto her she could not understand, and it mortified her because here she was, a young teenage girl, being told she was going to have a baby. She was going to have a baby, and she was a virgin. No choice of her future, at least so we think. But as that fear and as that perplexity filled her life, we realized that Christmas is a time that even those things we can't control should be transformed into that heavenly joy. Notice the third event in Luke, the second chapter, verse 8 through 10. These shepherds are out in the field. They're watching their sheep. They're pulling duty. Now, some of you know what it is to pull duty, to sit either outside or inside for eight hours and do nothing but watch. Not to communicate, not to share anything, but to simply stay awake, which is a job in itself, and to be alert and to be conscious of everything that's going on about you. The shepherds were paid to take care of the sheep. They were paid to be alert for anyone that would steal the sheep. They were there to watch the sheep to make sure they wouldn't wander off. And there they were in the darkness of night. And what happens? And the angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. <coughs> Excuse me. And they were terrified, greatly afraid, terrified with the appearance. Because when they saw the angel appear unto them, they realized that they could have been in trouble, and this could be the judgment coming upon them. This could be punishment. This could be something terrible about to happen. This could be somebody or some event or some uh, phenomena that would steal the sheep, that would take their lives. They were afraid. They didn't know. It was unknown what was before them. Many of us today stand in that place of fear of the unknown. We're not sure what the doctor's going to say this week. And what he says we may not like and we may not understand and we may not know how to deal with. We don't know what's going to happen in our relationships. Will they improve? Will they deteriorate? We don't know what's going to happen on our jobs. We have all these questions and no answers. Fear marks the beginning of the season in the heart of Zechariah and in Mary and in the shepherds. So how do we get to the joy, okay? How do we get to the place that we can say rejoice? 
Notice the passage of Scripture there in Luke. Because you see, the Christmas joy is rooted in the revelation. The revelation is the package. The revelation is all papered and bowed and and nice and neat. And here it is at Christmas that the package is open. The ribbon is torn off. The box is open. And inside is the joy that transforms the fear. Notice it is the message. It is the message of expectation there in Luke, the first chapter. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John, and he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. They were going to have a son. He was going to carry on their name. It was going to be the opportunity that they anticipated. It was the desire of the life. Their life was going to be complete. The amazing part about it is is that the son, John, would also be part of the messianic event. But notice there was also the message of assurance there in Luke, the first chapter, verse 31. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be, na- he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary hears this, and she doesn't laugh like Sarah. Because Sarah heard those words too, right? She heard those words, you're going to give birth to a child. In her heart, she went, you've got to be kidding me. But Mary hears these words. Mary understands that the angel is telling her that the people are going to question her. The people are going to wonder what's going on. Even Joseph is going to question her and wonder what's going on. Notice verse 38, though. How does she respond to all this? She says, I am the Lord's servant. The message came that she was going to be a child, and she didn't run off in hysterics. She didn't run off in rebellion. She didn't rebel against the ability or the request in her life. What did she do? She surrendered to it. I am the Lord's servant. You know, as I look at that, it always reminds me of Mark's song, Mary, Did You Know? I wonder what she thought. I wonder what went through her mind. Could she even imagine that this baby could forgive her and all of us of our sins? Could she even imagine that he would give his life on Calvary's tree for each and every one of us? Could she imagine that at his very voice, the lame could walk? Could she imagine that the demons would know him and flee? Could she imagine I don't believe. I don't believe she had any idea. But she was willing. She was willing. Notice the third message in Luke, the second chapter, verse 11 through 12. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. There will be a sign to you. 
this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in clothes, in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The gift. The gift. The message for all the world wasn't delivered to King Agrippa. It wasn't delivered to the high priest. It wasn't delivered to the most wealthiest man in Jerusalem. It wasn't delivered to the theologians and the philosophers. That gift was given to the shepherds. That message. And they opened it up. And when they opened it up, it was. That message that would transform their fear. The secret of the universe was given unto the loneliest of us. The greatest story ever to be told that would transform the world was theirs. The message of the ages. The message is this. Our fear can be transformed. The secret is is revealed. Abraham, Moses, David didn't know the whole story. The prophets had limited knowledge. But the mystery is ours. It has changed the world. In a world filled with fear and death and sickness and uncertainty, in a world out of control, In a world that we don't understand at times, it has been changed. Just as he can change me and you. Just as he can change each of us. The question for us this morning is, have we been changed? Have we heard the message? Because you see, Christmas joy transforms that fear. It transforms that fear into what? Into proclaiming joy. Zechariah, when he hears this message, he hears it and he wonders and he fights it, does he not? He resists it. And in that resistance, his mouth is shut. And when it is fulfilled, notice that Zechariah When his voice comes back, there in verse 62 and 64 of chapter 1, he begins to praise God. Mary in Luke, the first chapter, verse 46, notice that she sings this song. A song that we call and we understand to be from the very heart of who she is. Because it praises God. It praises his faithfulness, his power, his holiness. His mercy, his favor. I wonder what it is as we talk about praising God. We know what it is to declare his salvation. We know what it is to testify. We know what it is to to preach. We know what it is to sing. But what is this thing called praise? What is this thing that fills our heart and focuses us totally upon him? What is this thing that that has the ability to grab our emotions and cause tears to fall from our eyes? What is this thing called praise that 
that motivates us beyond what people think, that motivates us beyond our, our own self-awareness, this praise of God. It's probably pretty good that we find out about it because as I read further into the New Testament, guess what I find out? Guess what we're going to do in heaven? Okay? If we don't find out about it now, we may be a little behind the curve. Because as I read Scripture, and if you go over to the book of the Revelation, you'll find that they do what in heaven? Build houses? No. Houses are already built for them. Okay? Drive around in cars or fly around with wings? I find the people of God standing before the throne of God praising His name. Maybe we ought to figure out what that is, okay? Part of it is the choir leading us in music, right? Music is part of it. Reading his word is part of it. But focusing on him. Understanding his glory and his blessing for us. Notice that this transforming fear is brought into proclaiming joy, is into godly joy. There in John, the 17th chapter, verse 13 through 14, he says, I am coming to you now. This is Jesus speaking. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. He is speaking of a joy not found in the world. He's speaking of a joy that is far beyond our comprehension. He's speaking speaking about a joy that is not induced by alcohol or drugs or by events in our lives. He is speaking about a joy that is founded and based in the personhood of Jesus Christ. He is speaking about a joy that we receive more of and that we get closer as we seek God, as we pursue him, as we seek after him as we desire more of him, as we get closer to God, we experience the greater portion of his joy. It is joy that is turned into that inter-attitude, internal attitude of rejoicing. 1 Peter 1.8 says, inexpressible and glorious joy. I love that in the car, okay, with the windows rolled up and nobody around. Inexpressible, glorious joy, never on note, okay, because I wouldn't know where to find it if I could. But it is that self-expression of who I am. Notice in Hebrews 1.9, he says, anointing you with the oil of joy, the joy of oil flowing all over your being. Have you experienced the oil of joy in your life? With the joy in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Not conjured up, not made up, not artificial. It is given by the Holy Spirit of God. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that you and that your joy may be complete. John 15, 9. Tonight, the choir is going to lead us in an opportunity to rejoice and to understand what it means for this season 
to look out upon a world that is desperate to know the answer to what life is all about. And we as a church are going to be led in an experience of rejoicing and praising God. Now we can come and go, great job choir, fantastic, super duper, drive on. Or we can join them. And they can lead us in praising God. And my prayer is that we as a church come exactly that way. In that spirit of praise and worship. For he is a great God. He is a wonderful God. He is a saving God. And he has brought us to that place in our lives. You know, as I look at this, I realize... That as you drove up this morning, you saw some signs out there. It said, got joy. Davis Vaughn had, had a great campaign a couple of years ago. They were still in the closet, and I went, hmm, you know, let's retread these things and let's do them again. Because it is the question of the day, is it not? Do you have the joy of Jesus Christ in your life? Can you praise his name? Jackie and I were talking this morning, and she says, you know what? She was listening to a preacher, and she said, the message came to the shepherds when? In the nighttime, in the darkness. We believe and we assume that it came to Mary at night in the darkness. In the darkness of our days, in the darkness of all that's happened around us, the light will shine. And you may be living in that darkness today, not knowing where you're going, what's going to happen. You may not know whether you're going to heaven. You may not know if it's all true. The prayer is, is that you will hear the message. And that the message is, Jesus loves you. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to make you whole. And he wants to fill you with joy. Joy unspeakable. Joy that drives us. That even when it seems the darkest, he is there. Even when it seems so bad we don't even want to wake up, he is there. And when the pain is so so devastating in our lives he is there have you ever been to a saint's dying deathbed and they had a smile on their face and you sit there and you went how can this be how can this be it can be because the power of God has moved in their life and God has changed their fear by the message of salvation into joy into joy. He says, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse four. A very important passage of scripture as we close this morning. As you look at Philippians four, you understand, I can't find it right now, okay? I'm looking. And if you get there before me, feel free to read it, okay? Philippians four, four. 
He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Have you moved away from God, away from the church? Maybe this morning you are still living in that fear, that fear that began the season. The message is that God loves you and wants to forgive you and give you a new life focused on him. Therefore, rejoice, shall we pray. Father God, we come this morning, many of us gripped by fear. Many of us gripped by the events of this past week. Many of us uncertain what this new week holds for us. And Lord, there may be someone here who has never found you as Lord and Savior, who may not know what it is to be forgiven of their sins, who may not know what it is to be loved by the Father, who may not know what it is to praise your name for your holiness and righteousness and justice. Lord, use these moments as we sing together and as we allow your Spirit to move amongst us. Direct us now. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As we stand.